Hey, everybody, and welcome to iFreaks, episode number 253. This week on our panel, we have James Uber. Hello from Minneapolis. Guy Rambo. Hello from Brazil. Erica Sadoon. Hello from Denver. And I'm Andrew Madsen in Salt Lake City. We've been on hiatus for a few months. Uh, if you're a regular listener, you've probably noticed. If you're new to the show, you didn't notice, and that's great. But we thought we would, uh, we're back, and we thought we would give you an update on sort of what's going on and what we have planned for the, for the year. And then Erica wants to talk about her watch. She got a, an Apple Watch recently, her first one, and has fallen in love. So we're going to talk to her a little bit about that. Uh, but I f- at first, I think uh, we should say that um, after, after being gone for a little while, we plan to record regularly again to put shows out every week. Um, we are lining up guests to be on the show. And we always like feedback. So if you have an idea for a topic or a guest you'd like to see, or if even you think you would be a good guest, we would love to hear from you. You can find us on Twitter. Uh, it's at iFreaks, I-P-H-R-E-A-K-S. Um, and, uh, and let us know. We like hearing from people. So, Jane, what have you been up to for the last four months? Well, instead of iFreaks, to, is episode 53, can we call this the next generation? Yeah, we need some intro music if we're going to do that. Okay, well, Keith thought might, season two might work out too. I don't know. I guess we could call it season two. Our first season was five years long, but I suppose we can call this season two. The next five it's kinda years. Like, it's kind of like Twin Peaks. That was pretty long, season two. Well, in Star Trek, the original Star Trek series was a five-year mission, so it works. Okay, we can, we can go with it. No, I've been uh, doing an on-site gig contract with a big company you've heard of uh, with a Notable iOS app. I've been having a good time, but that's probably run time on that's probably running down. So I'll be doing some other stuff in 2019. Um, but yeah, I've been working with a big team, like a very big team, for the first time in quite a while. So that was that was interesting after being on my own for uh, a year or two. But it was fun to get back and working with alongside good people. Yeah, cool. I uh, I work from home now and have well since before we went on hiatus, but um, have actually been getting together with uh, people on my team um, at a new office that we have here the la- in the last week, and it's actually kind of fun to work around people as much as I like remote being at home work. I do miss remote work. That uh, I did. I do both uh, each week. Um, some days I go to the office, and some days I work from home, and. I can say I actually enjoy being at the office, but not every single day. I think that's true. I think, uh, yeah, every once in a while I get some interpersonal interaction, but to get heads down work, you get so much more done. You know, when you can have your environment where it's quiet, you're focused, there's less interactions, interruptions. So I get a lot more done when I'm remote. It's much better for me. That's true. You miss that bouncing off people when you're remote. Not always. There is a real emptiness in terms of losing that synchronicity of connecting with other people. Now there are tools like um, the Zoom tool that we're using today to (laughs) record iFreaks that allow you to connect and talk and use video and audio and so forth. And I find that easy connection to other coworkers is really essential in terms of just keeping you from burning out. I, one thing I have noticed, because I spent all of last week in the office working with um, coworkers, and some of us are not even, you know, we don't really directly work together on the same stuff for the same team, but just like if I have a question or if I 
want advice or something, being able to just sort of walk down the hall and find somebody. Uh, it's nice. And it, it, it is hard to, to replicate that with remote work, but, but I'm not giving it up. I've got all my old computers and my good music and everything I want at home. So. Well, it sounds like you have the best of both worlds. You have this mix of both remote and in person. Yeah. We'll see how that goes long-term. We, we just got an office in Lehigh and I don't know. I don't know how people are actually going to use it though yet. Give it time. You'll figure that out. Uh, what have you been up to, Guy? I've been doing day job stuff. Uh, lots of little projects we've been uh, doing recently because of a big change in the company strategy, which I can't talk about too much, but it's very challenging and very interesting. And I've also been doing my other podcast, Stack Trades with John Sandell, and working on Nights 5 Mac, writing articles. Yeah, I'm, I'm always a little surprised when I remember that you have a day job, because you seem like you're just always doing stuff, and I can't get that much done outside of my day job. Yeah, I'm always up to something, it seems. <laughs> but I do sleep. Some people say, uh, don't you sleep? I do, a lot, actually. <laughs> yeah good that's one of my favorite things to do is sleep erica tell us uh tell us what's kept you from doing i freaks well i worked with you for um a few months and right now i'm working on finishing the revision of my swift style book and i have some hard deadlines coming up on that so i'm pretty um in the mix right now for that and I am just kind of exploring options for what I do next. Yeah. So I know exactly. I actually, that was a you know question I already knew the answer to. Erica has been <laughs> very busy with stuff that I um, <laughs> was doing with her. And that's kind of why I haven't been around too. Uh, we, we, we were thinking um, as a, as a group that iFreaks has been around. Uh, I can't actually remember. Maybe Jane remembers, but since sometime in 2013, maybe summer or fall of 2013, We've done more than 250 episodes, which I think is a pretty long run for a podcast. There are a lot of podcasts that haven't lasted that long. Uh, we've talked about a lot of topics. We've had lots of really good guests on. Um, and we're, we're kind of thinking this is like time, a good time to recommit to the show and sort of reboot it in a way. Not that we're going to change anything drastically about what we do, um, but we're going to sort of, you know, figure we can cover things we've already covered before. That's okay. Uh, we can have guests on. Hopefully we can get some guests back for second and third appearances. That would be really cool. Um, so I'm actually just kind of excited to be doing iFreaks again. I've missed it. So Google says, first episode, iFreaks 0, April 8th, 2013, which had no content or introductory, has some introductory audio. But first show with panelists, April 11th, 2013. And no one currently on the show was there. <laughs> I wondered about that. I didn't remember if you were. I think I started in episode 12. I think we started about the same time. I think one episode off. I thought you were an old timer too. I was like, oh, Andrew's been on the show for a while. Well, I mean, episode 12, that was pretty soon after it started. Back then, no, I was a, I was a fan of some of Chuck's other podcasts, like the Ruby Ruby Rogues. I listened to that and I heard they were kicking off on I iPhone podcast. I'm like, I could do an iPhone podcast. Let's do, let's, let's figure that out. So, ah, okay. So I showed up and no one asked me to leave, and here I am. I actually think I was on episode 14 was my first one, and I, uh, yeah, Chuck actually asked me to be on the show, and I didn't really know him before, 
he's here local to me. So met me for, through Cocoa Heads and the rest is his. And Erica and Guy need no introduction, even though they're newer to the podcast. They're certainly the most esteemed uh, panelists we've had throughout our history. We should get we should get the um, we should get some of the past panelists back together again. I think we did that for our hundredth show, and I can't remember if we did it for our two hundredth show, but that's sort of fun to get those guys back. We used to have Ben Sherman in a screencast. Ben Sherman um, as a that would be awesome. Have have a kind of NS reunion. Yeah, and uh, I don't know what Pete's doing these days. I don't think he has anything to do with iOS, as far as I know. Um, but he's still around, Pete Hodgson, and um, and Rod Schmidt is the other one. So, Erica, you said when we were thinking about the the show today that you wanted to talk about your watch, and I know you got a watch fairly recently. I think mm-hmm. um, the Series Four is it's your first one. It you is my first. You said you've fallen in love with it. So tell us why. When I bought my watch, I thought that I was going to be buying a tracker. I want to get my physical activity up and I've been doing a lot of rehab and physical therapy and so forth. And I thought that having a tracker would be just really good for me and having something that kept me honest and give me an incentive to be more physical and so forth. And to be quite frank, as a tracker, the Apple watch kind of sucks. It has been an amazing disappointment. It often will not track properly. I will be working my little heart out on, you know, spinning or on a treadmill or something. And it won't even pick up the fact that I'm doing activity, even though I've told it that I'm in the middle of an activity task. I mean, it's just dreadful. And so the watch is nothing that I thought that I was buying. It turns out that I have fallen in love with a device that is completely separate from what I thought I purchased. And what I do love is how convenient it has made so much of my life in ways that did not go into my buying decision, that did not occur to me when, you know, I was looking, you know, why, why are you buying watches? Why? I don't like watches. I mean, I've never liked having jewelry or things on my wrist or things like that. And this, this device has just wormed its way into my heart over the last, what, two months, three months, something like that. I haven't had it very long, but I don't want to give it up. It's fantastic. I can answer phone calls anywhere in the house. I don't have to run and pick up my, my device. And honestly, Talking to my wrist was not something I ever thought I would be doing. And yet, it's so much easier. If I'm in the middle of shopping and a phone call comes in, I take it right there. I do not have to go into my backpack. I do not have to find the phone. It's just immediate gratification. Another thing that this watch does for me, again, I didn't really think about it, but for the past five or 10 years or so, the way I find out what time it is, is I look at my phone. And I know this is, you know, verging it into Captain Obvious territory, but the fact that I can just look at my wrist and know what time it is has been a major thing in my life. I know what time it is, what day it is, and it's 
it didn't occur to me that watches do these things and are so good at doing them. It's so I want to know, how, how did you take the phone out of wherever you had it before and look at it? Well, I used to have it always plugged in, into, unless I was on the road. And then if I'm on the road, it's in my backpack. Okay, so you're opening the backpack, taking it out, checking the time, putting it back in the backpack. Yeah, but you have to find the phone first. So you open the backpack, and where has the phone slipped into? Is it you know, inside my planner? Is it in this pocket, that pocket? I'm a woman. I carry things with lots and lots of pockets. Finding the phone, huge problem. Now with my watch, there is a little button on my watch. I push it, and my phone goes beep, beep. I can just pull up the phone because the phone makes a sound when I push it. That thing, the pager functionality is amazing. It is, it is so convenient for me. Now, when I need the actual phone to find the phone, I just push that button, I find it. That, that feature has saved me. I was once, I was driving, had my phone on the center console of a car I didn't really know. I turned a corner a little bit too hard and the phone disappeared literally went underneath like through a hole in like in the stereo section and I, I never would have found it because I had no idea where it gone. I spent 10 minutes with the beeping trying to find this phone. It, like it's somewhere in the car. It was definitely uh, something I wouldn't have been able to do without the, the beep, without taking the entire car apart. And then there are the complications and the complications are basically the dock for the phone. You put your most commonly used little apps, your little widgets, into the complications. And the complication, the name comes from watchmakers. It's, it's just a silly name, but complications means items that are outside the main dial that tells you the actual time. And so I have a complication for a timer. I am using that timer constantly, whether I'm boiling rice or I'm cooking eggs or I'm doing you know, interval exercises, having a timer on my wrist is one of those things I didn't know I needed in my life. And now that I have it in my life, there's no way you're going to take it away from me. It, it is so useful. When people ask me what I use my Apple Watch for, the first thing I say is as a watch. Uh, the second thing I say is for notifications, but probably the third thing is to find my iPhone. Another thing yeah, everyone agrees. I have those style um, things you can put on uh, keychains and stuff. And um, recently, I didn't know where my keys were in the apartment, and I used the, the phone app to find them, and I was so happy that I got them. So having these uh, little beeping devices that can alert you to where they are is definitely helpful. I love the tile app. The only problem is that the tile app is on my phone. So to find my phone, I use my watch. And then I can use my phone to find my keys. It's like a treasure hunt for devices. You know, it's a two-phase system, but it works okay. You know? It works great. Yeah. And let me endorse tile. They not only have tiles for keychains, but they have them for wallets. They have ones that can be attached to um, bicycles, to all sorts of, you know, they have all sorts of different geometries that they sell and different thicknesses and different um, ways of attaching them. And they are 
I've used a number of tracker devices and Tile is the one I've come back to and I've invested in personally. Okay, I wasn't familiar with Tile before. So Tile allows you to, just by Googling it right now, find your keys, wallet, and phone with Tile's mm -hmm. app and Bluetooth tracker. So it's a sticker you just put on, on things? Well, there are some that you can use as a sticker. Others have little holes in them, so you can just thread it through your keychain. Um, I have one that is kind of larger and thinner that goes into my wallet, because you don't want anything too thick in there. There are a whole bunch of different utilities to them, and they have the various ones on uh, the website that you can look at. And they periodically go on sale in batches. So if you get a bulk purchase, they don't go bad in the draw. So currently I have like three or four sitting in a draw over to my left that I just haven't gotten to yet because when they go on sale, that's when I buy my new you know, trackers. Maybe we could get somebody from Tile on. I'd love to hear more about how oh, they do that. I have a friend. His name is Charles, and he's the one who got me hooked on these. He sent me one. I really, I started using it. I realized, yes, this is what I've been looking for, and then I just started spending money with the company. Yeah, I've actually never gotten, I, I keep thinking I should buy Tile, and then I haven't. Um, I'm pretty good at not losing my keys, uh, which seems to be the one big thing people use them for. What I lose all the time is remote controls. Mm. So that's what I need it for. Remote controls, let me give you a secret which is if you don't mind making them look ugly, attach long tails made out of duct tape to them. Just you connect the duct tape to the device and then you make a long tail and fold backwards so that you don't have sticky bits. And when you do that, it doesn't matter where it gets wormed into, whether it's in your sofa or under a cushion or behind something, because it has that long tail, you are always able to see it. That's an interesting idea. Fully hide. It doesn't really have an app to go with it, though. No, it, this is this is a life hack. <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm just teasing. But you. it's one that's perfect, especially with children. And if you buy some of the very brightly colored duct tape that's available these days, it's very easy to put together, and you generally will never lose your remotes again. Yeah, I said I lose remotes. That's not really true. Uh, my son loses remotes. He just places them somewhere and forgets where they are. Yeah. Those are such good toys. They have all the buttons to push. Lights happen when you push the buttons. Can you not imagine yourself as being two or three years old and just falling in love with a remote, especially being the child of an engineer? Oh, yeah. I can understand it. So you give them these you know, long duct tape tails, then your kids can continue to enjoy your remotes assuming they don't chew them to the point where they're not usable anymore, which has happened in my life, but you can still find them. Well, Erica, so we, we kind of back on the subject of your watch. Um, Have I talked yet about having my calendar on my watch? No, actually, I'd like to hear that. That was not my question at all, but I want to hear that. You, you use the calendar on your watch? When you sit down at your desktop, you're usually there for a significant amount of time. When you pull up an iPad, the time goes down by an order of magnitude in terms of interaction. When you hit the handheld mobile devices, the iPhone style ones, the time of interaction can be counted often in minutes 
And when you go from the iPhone down to the watch, instead of spending a minute or so, you're often only involved for maybe a second or two. And that style of interaction, that glancing at the interface has to mean that your device is really, really rich in terms of the qual quality of information it gives you and the quantity of information it gives you. And that's why at the center of my watch in terms of the screen that I've chosen as the main screen is my calendar because it tells me exactly what's coming up next and I can then tap it if I need more information. Often I won't. Often the question I want is what am I doing next and how long from now is that going to happen? And having that on my watch again is a feature I didn't know I needed but now that I have it I love it. It is instant gratification of how much time do I have before my next obligation? And it is just a really rich and wonderful thing that is presented to me in a single glance. And it is basically the ideal of the human user experience for something that's on your wrist. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. I'm using uh, the um, top left corner uh, complication for reminders and the top right one for calendar. And just by looking at my wrist really quickly, I can have uh, an idea of how busy I am, whether I have time to do something right now. Um, so yeah, it's a, it's a really cool experience and I use complications a lot for that. Another thing that's on the watch that is actually less universally loved, but I've really gotten into it, are the stand and breathe applications. And if you don't own a watch, what these two things are, are regular reminders during the day to stand up and move your body or to take a moment or 30 seconds to breathe regularly in and out and so forth. And I just love both of these. Now, as I said, it's not a universal thing. Some people find them just really irritating and annoying and interrupting. But I think that for me, having that external motivation to be a little bit more physically active or take a moment to reflect has been incredibly valuable. And for my breathe interruptions, I don't just do the thing that does the breathing. The breathing part is really cool. There's a nice little animation. It gives you a little vibration that is varied whether you're inhaling or exhaling. I mean, that's all lovely, but I actually use the breathe thing not just for that, I also alternate it with some basic things like sitting up straight and exercising my back or doing some stretches, you know, from physical therapy and so forth. So although the breathe technically is specific to breathing, I use it for much more things. And as for the stand, it's wonderful. Once an hour, it says, move your body. You've been sitting long enough, get out there and do something. You know, even if it's for a minute or two, and it will give you the nice little reward after you do it. You know, there's that notion of, you know, a little Skinner box, you know, pleasure and so forth. But I find both of these applications to be enormously valuable for me in terms of life coaching. Again, things I did not expect from my purchase. Have you tried developing for the Apple Watch at all? I have. And in fact, I find myself writing apps for it all the time, 
little apps, not apps that I keep on it, but there are times when I just need to carry some information with me or I need to do um, something that I'm going to need on the run. I will just quickly write the app, throw it onto my watch. Now I'm going to admit the watch development process, not great. I think anything that involves extensions is not necessarily a joy to develop, you know, whether you're doing extensions for the phone or extensions, you know, for the watch or anything like that. But it's easy enough that if I need to have something on there, what I do is I just keep adapting the same few apps to put whatever I need on it for the moment onto the watch. And I find that really, really handy. Yeah, the watch development process is very limited because of what Apple makes available to developers and you are uh, required to use uh, Interface Builder, which I'm not a huge fan of. Mm -hmm. But I actually wrote the app for uh, the company I work for, for the, the Apple Watch in um, very little time. We wanted to have an Apple Watch app as a companion to the iOS app, as all Apple Watch apps basically are. And... Um, yeah, so I wrote the app in like three days and uh, the limitation was actually enjoyable in the sense that I had a very clear path that I had to follow to get to the, the result we wanted to get. And there weren't all of these dis distractions around the APIs. It was very straightforward. And the only thing is um, I actually, not that I had to write it in Objective-C, but I ended up writing it in Objective-C because our app is uh, Swift. And um, if you write an Apple Watch app in Swift, you have to embed the Swift standard uh, libraries twice inside mm -hmm. your app. So that would like make our app grow uh, in uh, like 10 megabytes. And actually having to copy all that data to the Apple Watch while debugging makes, it, uh, makes the, the, the debug cycle a lot longer so yeah so i ended up writing the watch app in objective c which it's totally fine i love objective c but it's one of those little quirks you have to deal with when uh, thinking about having a, a watch app debugging for the watch is pretty horrible it, it debugging and deployment i would say are both pretty significant challenges because a lot of times if you're going to deploy to an actual device, you have to go through a phone, have it installed on the phone, and a lot of it feels like the early Bluetooth stack issues where there will be ghost instances that have not yet been deallocated. So sometimes it will refuse to load your new build because it's still dealing with the old build. It's a bit frustrating to work with. Guy, have you had the same experience? Yeah, definitely. And I have many issues like sometimes it won't launch the app at all and Xcode just sits there like waiting to launch something something on Apple Watch and it simply doesn't do anything. And um, yeah, so then you have to go through the, the motions like um, remove the iPhone from the, the cable, put the cable back in on the iPhone turn off the Apple Watch. Actually, I figured out uh, doing one of my uh, recent hacks with the Apple Watch, which I've been doing as well. Um, 
I had an issue like like it wouldn't launch the app and the only way to make it work again was to turn off both the iPhone and the Apple Watch like shut them down and power them back on it was the only way to make the app run again also and that really sucks try uninstalling the app as well yeah I actually tried that and then you wouldn't install the app at all yeah I've run into that in yeah. the past and yes I've done the the, the uh, repower cycle as well I mean uh, I'm one of the people who are uh, I think Apple should provide the little debugging cable to developers because the Apple watch actually mm -hmm. has a debug part hidden uh, I think they should uh, do something for developers because even though wireless debugging and deployment sounds good on paper it doesn't actually work in practice i mean i'm not using wi-fi debugging and, and running with my iphones or ipads because uh, it simply does not work as reliably as having a good old cable and when you are in the process of creating something and doing the the, the iterations of uh, changing something running debugging you want things to just work. You don't want to be messing with the Wi-Fi issues. So yeah, I think yeah. the Apple Watch development experience needs to improve a lot. Another thing that's hit me hard is that originally what I wanted my watch to do was be able to give voice coaches for repeated exercises. And what I found out is that the quality of service for third-party uh, developers in terms of Grand Central Dispatch are massively lower so that it's very very hard to have any sort of code that runs on a timer and that your responses are going to degrade over time because the system makes itself far more of a priority in terms of those cycles so what happens is that even if you are at the best quality of service for dispatch, the best quality of service on the watch is still going to be completely degraded due to the fact that the watch needs to do everything else that's the system requirements over your requests. And what I found is that I've given up on Grand Central Dispatch and I've moved almost exclusively to NS Timer and it's still is not as great as I would like it to be, but for a device which is built on time, for third-party developers, it's very hard to get good timing happening. So how far off is the timer? So you expect it to fire off in five seconds. How far might you be off or should you expect to be? Well, the first time you fire it is probably within a second or two. The second time, less so, and each subsequent time, more and more and more off to the point where some of the things were that you know were say 17 seconds would fire before something that would be at 5 seconds so over time unless you're really careful about how you develop your signals and sending things off the error just builds and builds and builds and if you want to hear more about Apple Watch development in uh, real life, you can listen to iFreaks episode 247 with uh, Will Bishop, the developer behind the Chirp app for WatchOS, where we go into some more chat about this uh, whole Apple Watch situation. Yeah, that was a good episode. 
he's he's like 16. He was impressive. Okay, let me tell you about another thing that I absolutely love on my watch is that I can download music and Audible to it. And I can then go completely away from my phone. And I still have books and musics to listen to as I'm out walking or at the gym or things like that. It's so freeing. I don't have to have my phone with me all the time. And no, I don't have cellular service on the the watch itself. I decided against that. So this is just the Wi-Fi model. But I imagine that if you could have that cellular service, it would be even more amazing because you could then, you know, place calls as well as receive them, you know, completely free of carrying anything. And you can pay for stuff as well with just what's on your arm. Yeah. I use Apple pay whenever I can use it. And I, and I really like it. Um, I, I do hope someday, uh, Apple figures out how to make it so that it's reliable. Cause my problem is I'll walk into a store. I'm not sure if they take Apple pay or not. Sometimes their terminal looks like it's NFC enabled, but then I can't actually get it to work. And that unreliability makes me just not want to use it. Um, and it doesn't seem like it's gotten any better in the last, you know, three years or since whatever Apple Pay came out? I don't really use Apple Pay on my Apple Watch and I don't uh, don't even use it for like um, boarding passes because it's really weird the way you have to hold your arm to scan the, the, the code in case of a barcode or even if it's NFC, you have to like twist your arm in a weird way and it's kind of fiddly. So I usually just go for my iPhone in those situations. Yeah, interesting. I've never tried using it for a boarding pass. That does seem fiddly. I use it to pay, though, all the time. So how have you accessorized your watch? What have you bought for it? What toys for your toy? I've got lots of bands. Uh, well, I don't know what lots is. I've seen people on the internet that have, you know, 50 bands for their watch. But You'd got, be surprised. Got, uh, people have lots of bands. I know some people who have, like, 30 watch bands. Yeah, I've, I've seen people post pictures of their band organizers, you know, like on a box that <laughs> has slots for everyone. And, uh, I've, I've got five or six. I'm sitting here with my series one watch. I bought the day it came out. Still the same band still looks okay. You know, the Milanese loop doesn't look too bad for like all the running I've done in it. So it still looks pretty good. But uh, this is, this is fascinating for me that people that have watch or ba- watch band organizers, that's a, that's some next level stuff. I have seen James' arm, and I can confirm that it looks really good. So what do you like about uh, that, that watch band? At this point, I've had it for how many, how many years has the Apple Watch been out? Four years? Five years? Came out in April of 2015. 15. Okay. So coming on four years. I like it. It works pretty well. I can go for a run. And it holds up pretty well, the magnetic. So I don't, I can, if I need to tighten a little bit, I can do it. It's not a big deal. You don't have to get that little thing where you're like in between two di- different notches. If you've got a different style. So it works pretty well. Um, looks a little fancy to wear with a t-shirt. Uh, I've gotten used to that. So if you like, have your shorts and t-shirts and you got this Milanese loop, it looks a little, little high end for that, but I've gotten used to that. So it's not a big deal, but no, I'm pretty happy with it. Um, I, I mean, I, the only problem I have is like if I was going to get the new new watch, like to get the Milanese Loop, you have to buy the the, the cell phone, the cell enabled watch, like the high end seven hundred dollar one. I'm like I don't want to spend that. Or animal. you could go to Amazon and buy the ten dollar ripoff. 
All right, I want to see your wrist. I want to make sure it's not green from wearing that. No, they're really nice. They actually are really nice. I own one. I, I bought mine with a sport loop because that was the most comfortable in the store. And at the store, looking at the Milanese one, it was just too expensive. So that's, that was my starter one. And yeah. I just found that it just irritated my arm over time. So I did go and I bought the knockoff over at um, Amazon. And it's lovely. It is a wonderful, you know, wristband. The only thing is that when you're doing laundry, your arm has a tendency to stick to the, you know, the washer or the dryer because they're large chunks of metal and you have that magnet on your arm. Okay. But, so do you have a, a, the stainless steel? Um, I have no idea. It's made out of whatever it's made out of. I, no, stainless is the expensive one. The aluminum watch casing. I have no idea. I, the so, only model that's stainless steel is the cellular one, as far as I know. You can't get yeah. a GPS one that's uh, stainless steel. Erica, was your watch eight, seven, or eight hundred dollars, or was it like two or three hundred? No, it was it was at the lower end. But I, as I said, I, I originally got it with a Sport Loop, which is you know the cheapest band they have. I I went to Amazon, and for all of my ten dollars, I got you know the the knockoff Milanese, and then I found that. I needed something with a little bit more give. So I eventually ended up buying uh, another one, which is essentially an elastic loop. And I've been very happy with it because it gives a little bit more freedom and motion for my arm. So it's not very beautiful, but it works fine. It dries quickly after swimming. It is just a really nice, practical one. But I still own my $10 Milanese you know, knockoff, I just tend not to use it because it's a pain to go between watch bands. I actually have a problem with my uh, first party Milanese loop band uh, that it's uh, been basically sanding the edge of my MacBook Pro as I use it. Um, so if you look at the edge, uh, the, the uh, left, bottom left edge of my uh, top case on my MacBook Pro, it's shinier than the rest because uh, my uh, Milanese band has been brushing against it for several hours uh, every day. All right, I'm looking at the MacBook Pro I'm using. I've had for about six months and I can confirm there's a little shiny section. So there you go. Yeah, yeah. I don't mind it that much, but be careful. So spring for the Milanese loop, get a shiny MacBook. I mean, come on. I've got... <laughs> I've got, I bought my original watch with the blue leather loop. And then I bought, I've bought probably four or five of the sport bands, which I really like. Um, I actually wear those most of the time. And then I've got another leather loop that I bought the forest green one. Um, and I've got one of the nylon bands. They're, they're actually, they're all the first party Apple ones, but I, they've actually done a nice job. I, I really like all the bands that I've got. Um, I haven't tried any of the knockoff ones, but. I never would have thought Apple would be a just straight up fashion manufacturer, but that's what they're doing with these bands. Well, if yeah. you're not a straight up fashion manufacturer, how do you explain pink, gold, everything? Yeah, but I mean, those are still devices, right? They're not just about wearing something, and they don't they don't expect people to buy multiple iPhones to wear on different days or whatever. Yeah, I, I, watch I, bands is like uh, are like clothing, basically. They are, and I've got to admit that. The single most ridiculous thing I have purchased for my watch is a sweatband. 
and I put it over my watch when I'm working out because otherwise if you're on a weight machine the glass goes click 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 against everything you're working out with and I do have a number of scratches that I'm very unhappy about. Should have got me a look, the stainless steel one. It has a sapphire screen. Yeah, well, that wasn't going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> I do have the stainless steel one, and I and my my old one was too. And I, it doesn't get scratched. The screen is very hard, but the stainless steel part gets scratched, but not the. I had the glass. stainless steel one for like three weeks until one of the WatchOS updates bricked my Apple Watch. Oh yeah, I remember that. Yeah, so that that was not fun. So now I have the aluminum one, and it's awesome as well. But yeah, I really like the stainless steel one. About a month or so ago, I went on a trip. Andrew might be familiar with this trip. And I realized that I didn't want to move my charger. So I ran out to Target to buy an extra charger and then each charger costs about $30. They're not hugely expensive, but they're, you know, they're Apple, so they're not going to be cheap. And I go there and on the shelf, they only have, you know, the one foot ones. And I wanted a three or a six foot one. And I was freaking out because I was supposed to go on a plane, you know, the next morning. And I didn't really want to spend $30 on the wrong kind of charger. Now, anybody with common sense would say, oh, well, you know, for your main one, just replace it and get, you know, the short one and then take the long one on the trip with you. But I really felt, you know, I would prefer to have the longer charger for both of them. And so I made those poor people at Target go into the back and search from bottom to top until they found me the long ones. And to be to be fair, they were, they said that they were happy to look and they were really, really kind about it. I did feel a bit guilty, but I am so glad that I got the very long charging cables. These charging cables are awesome. They're magnetic. And if you have a long enough one, you can just kind of move it around to wherever you have some clear space. I know that some people you know are more organized than others i am not a particularly organized person so having that flexibility of long cable be able to put the watch anywhere on my main counter has been really really helpful to me and having one for travel again which with a long enough reach that you know i could plug into the wall and then get it up onto a nearby table or onto a counter I find that, again, having a second charging cable that can travel with me was a really good watch purchase. Yeah, I've got one that I keep in my bag, uh, which is the bag I travel with um, all the time so that I don't have to pull the one off my nightstand. And, it, you know, and I, and I have the long one and I completely agree. Now, I have a question uh, for all of you and especially for Erica since uh, she's so excited about the Apple Watch. What are you looking for for uh, this year's, uh, not the new Apple Watches, but the new watchOS that's definitely coming this year, watchOS 6? What, what would you like to see? I'm so new to this that I'm still just exploring what the current watchOS has. So I don't know if I'm informed enough to have an opinion about the next one. I'm going to let Andrew and James answer. I, I want, I I want UIKit on the, oh, sorry, James. I want UI kit for non-Apple developers. I second that. That would be sweet. That would be sweet. Um, I don't even know. I've got a Series 1, which is largely becoming not usable for any apps. So I kind of 
do the two bare minimum with what I have. You can't even run Watch OS five on that, so no, I, I'm I'm a few behind, I believe. But I get my notifications. I can run my my timer app, my workouts app. Siri works okay, so I'm doing all right. Are but, there some you know, that's how it goes. Are there some really good apps that I'm missing out on? You know, I used to say that my favorite uh, watch app was um, the eBay app. They actually had a really nice watch app, but then they dropped it like a lot of other developers did, which is too bad. Um, I use uh, the the third-party apps that I use the most on my watch are Authy, which is a two-factor authentication app, Uh, Deliveries, which is a package tracking app that is excellent on Mac and iOS and watchOS. Um, and I guess this is not a third party app, but I use the HomeKit app quite a bit um, now because I've got a fair number of HomeKit lights at, at home. So I use it to turn on and off my lights. My favorite app for the Apple Watch has got to be Carrot Weather. I love it. I love the, the snarkiness and uh, the jokes and everything. So I have it as a, one of the complications. And it's the way I interact with the app the most. It's just not even interacting. It's just uh, consuming information. So I just look at the, the complication to see uh, like a summary of the weather. But I do sometimes open up the app through the complication to see the details. And um, I, I'm also using Home Run, which is a third-party app for HomeKit, and it allows you to control your uh, HomeKit scenes in a very nice way. So I have two complications. One of them is uh, one that turns on my good morning no, uh, scene for HomeKit. So it basically turns on everything that I want turned on uh, at morning when I wake up. And uh, it uses it's like... Um, a bright uh, yellow sun icon, which you can actually customize uh, using the app. And I have another complication also from Home Run, which is like a purple small sun icon. And that one is the good night scene that turns everything off. And I use it a lot. Yeah, I've got a bedtime scene uh, for the light in my son's room. And I, I use my watch to turn that on because he'll fall asleep and I want to keep the you know turn the light down low or he's going to bed and i turn the light down low it's actually been really nice to what degree do you all let the activity rings rule your lives i try to get my move ring uh and my stand rings i'm not too good about the exercise one (laughs) but i i don't get long streaks i don't think i've ever had a streak longer than a week i am currently on my longest move streak um and i plan to keep that going but i also am not very I have a friend that's really into uh, doing all of the rings every single day. Uh, and he's been doing it for since he got the Apple Watch, so like two, three years or something. And um, yeah, I usually pay attention to the only the move ring and maybe the stand ring, but not even that one. Yeah, I don't even check it. I, I exercise most days. I, I bike to work and stuff, so I get, I'm getting my exercise. I'm, I'm moving around a little bit, but I, I never check it. I'm, I'm free of that. I found I was getting an unhealthy obsession with it. After I had done about a month of rings, I took the watch off for a day and I just did with that. I, I deliberately broke my cycle just because I, I was at the point where it's, if I weren't feeling well, I was going to pay one of my children to wear the watch for the day. And I realized that's <laughs> Now that's cheating. <laughs> yeah, you know how, how doesn't matter. 
Close the rings, you're fine. It's like those kids who, who give their um, credentials for Snapchat to do like their streaks or something. Uh, <laughs> I heard something about that kids these days. Um, so yeah, I, I don't really pay too much attention, but I do agree with uh, some people who do pay attention and they, uh, some people have been advocating for like uh, a day off or something that you can set because like on Sundays, I don't usually exercise at all. And uh, sometimes I don't even wear my Apple watch on Sundays. It's like my, my day off. So there should be an option to set at least one day per week where you don't need to, to fill your rings. On the one hand, I like that it's gamified, where you're turning personal achievement into something that you can measure and it's a rewarding experience. On the other hand, it just got me to the point where I said, this thing is becoming a priority that I don't have space for in my life. And that's why I deliberately took that day, broke that streak and said, you know, I am not paying attention to my rings anymore because the rings became something of a detriment rather than a benefit. Sounds like we need rings anonymous. <laughs> I mean, Show I've, title. Seen, I've seen people post like, you know, you get an award for a one year streak. It's just not going to happen with me. Well, we've spent a lot of time talking about Erica's watch more than I expected we were going to. Um, I think we've been recording for, Going, going on an hour, so it's probably about time to wrap up. And of course, we need to give our picks. So um, does anybody else have anything they, they think we need to talk about before we wrap up and get to picks? Have I lost we're it? Good. Okay. I think we're good. Good. All right. Uh, who should we start with? Guy, do you have any picks for us? Yes, I do. I'm going to pick an Apple device, and it's not the Apple Watch. Uh, it's... Uh, the same as a, it's the same for me as the Apple Watch is currently for Erica. I got the latest iPad Pro, the uh, 12.9 inch one, and I've been using it for like three days, and I'm really, really enjoying this device. It's making me use the iPad again, which I wasn't before. Uh, I only use the iPad to read and watch some videos, and now I'm actually doing some work on the iPad. I really love the new design. It's really pretty. It's not bent. Mine, at least, is not. Um, so, yeah, I really recommend it. And I've been doing some some cool work, and I'm actually recording this podcast using the iPad Pro. Great. I kind of want to get one. I have a 9.7-inch iPad Pro, so it's not really old enough to be where I need to upgrade it, and I don't actually use it a ton, but those new ones sure look nice. Uh, James, do you have any picks for us? All right, I've got one pick. So over the break, I watched a little, I took some time off, watched some TV, and one show that I really enjoyed was on Amazon. So you can get it if you're an Amazon Prime member. Uh, it's The Man in the High Castle, which is set in the 60s if the Axis from World War II had, had won the war. So the U.S. divided into Japanese-controlled territory and German-controlled territory. And I watched all three seasons, and it's pretty good. But season three, it gets a little... To be a little bit much but the first two seasons were were excellent so definitely something to check out if you've got time to binge watch yeah i need to get back into that i watched the first season um but haven't continued with it it's a good show it's based on a philip k dick book although greatly expanded from anything he wrote i think erica do you have any picks for us 
I do, and it's going to sound like I'm just copying Guy, but I'm not. My pick is the latest generation iPad, but not the iPad Pro. And the reason is that over the last month or so, the prices have dropped for refurbished units. And you can pick up an iPad and an i, you know, the pencil that goes along with it. So the first generation pencil, not the latest one. And you can, for just upwards of $300, you can get a 128 gigabyte iPad. And for about $70, you can grab a pencil. Both of them are going to be refurbished. So you want to go to um, a vendor who is reliable. You probably want to um, see about getting some Apple Care involved if possible. But the prices are terrific. It is a terrific device. And even though it is not an iPad Pro, it is still an absolutely wonderful system. And having all that space is just amazing. Yeah. So that, that's, I mean, that's the best deal in iPads for sure. And especially now that it has Apple pencil support, it just seems like a, unless you really need what the iPad pro offers, it seems like a no brainer. Well, I have two picks today that are kind of related. The first one is a 3d printer. I got a 3d printer over the Christmas break um, on Woot actually. Uh, it was on sale for like $170 or something. And I, I sort of bought it sight unseen. Somebody posted it on Slack as a deal. And I thought, eh, I've wanted a 3d printer for a long time and that's cheap. I haven't really paid enough attention to them to know that they had gotten quite that cheap. And I thought, and eh, it's probably not great, but whatever, I'll buy it and, and see. And the reviews were okay. So I bought it. I'm sure it's not the best 3d printer in the world, but it's working really, really well for me. It's better than the last one that I had used extensively, which was a printer bought uh, three or four years ago. And that's, it's the Ender three that I've got. So has a heated bed, pretty big print volume. I think it's kind of the standard 220 by 220 by 240 or 250 or something uh, millimeters. Um, I've been printing all kinds of things with it over the past couple of weeks and really enjoying it. And so if you've never, if you've never played with a 3d printer, one thing to know about them is that they're, uh, they're, they're certainly kind of a hobbyist thing right now. You, you have to learn about them and there are lots of different settings you can change and they're kind of endlessly tweakable, which is a fun thing. Um, but it does mean you have to put in some work learning how to use them. Uh, it also means that you can print print using the printer. You can print all kinds of upgrades for them. So I've been doing a lot of that and there's a site called Thingiverse, which is maybe you might call that like GitHub for 3d stuff, uh, in that it's just a place where people share, lots and lots of 3D things that you can print. So I've been printing a lot of stuff up there. But I've also been making my own models, which brings me to my second pick, which is a Mac app by Nick Lockwood um, called ShapeScript. It's a it's a pretty new app. I think it just came out a couple months ago. Um, it is pretty clearly written using SceneKit. Uh, and it it's a 3D modeling app, but instead of you know using your mouse and keyboard to create models, you write code in a language that he has come up with called ShapeScript. It's a very simple language, which is a good thing because it's pretty easy to jump into. Um, and you write code to create shapes and paths and, you know, join them and subtract them. And, um, but you can even write things procedurally. Anyway, really, he's done a really nice job for a version 1.0. It's excellent. I've really been enjoying it. Uh, and to make things even better, he open sourced part of the app in the form of a 3d library, um, called Euclid written in Swift for, it's, it's sort of like the data model of the app. It's for manipulating polygons and shapes and paths and, and all of that. So anyway, ShapeScript for 3D modeling and the Ender 3D for printing are my picks. All right, well, that's it for picks. And that's it for the show. Uh, look for another show next week. And thanks for joining us. See ya. See ya. Bye. Take care, everybody.
Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com to learn more.